Molech was a Babylonian god. And uh, Babylonians used to sacrifice their children. Um, he had a big open place in his stomach, and there was a fire there. And children used to be sacrificed to Molech. The Israelites also sacrificed children to Molech. I wish all idols looked like that. Unfortunately, they don't. You see, if they all looked like that, we'd be able to recognize them from a distance. And we'd know, don't go there. Don't go there. See, idolatry has always been a problem for human beings. We make things into idols. The reason for that is we are made to worship. We were created to worship. And so when we don't worship the true God, we end up worshiping something else. And then that's called an idol. And I wish that we could just say, you know, it's something that the people in the Old Testament did. Or people in other places do. Or, or it's a, somebody else's problem. But, but the truth is that the Bible teaches us that, that God's people can worship idols. They did, often, in the Old Testament. But not just then. Even in the New Testament, the early church was warned again and again, don't worship idols. This is a picture of the goddess Diana. She was a goddess in a place called Ephesus. And she's a fertility god. And Paul writes to the people in Ephesus, they a new group of Christians. Uh, they're new to the faith, and he's writing to them to, to tell them all sorts of things about how they should live. And you would think that they wouldn't need any warning about idols, honestly, because they, lots of them had worshipped idols their whole life, and now they've stopped. And so you'd think, well, why? He doesn't need to talk to them about that, because surely they would know. I mean, it would be fresh in their minds, but apparently it's not. You would think that they would be good at spotting idols, but they weren't. You would think that we would be good at spotting idols, but very often we're not. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, from verse 1. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us, and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Hey, doesn't that sound like something we've been talking a lot about? That we, as followers of Jesus, our primary job is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. Live a life of love. Be transformed to live this life of love. But among you... There must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk or coarse joking which are out of place but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words. 
For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. Paul is saying, guys, you've got to be careful. You've got to be really careful. Idols come in all sorts of ways. Through the way we talk. Through our lusts. And through this thing called greed. It's not the only place Paul says this. He, he, he speaks to the church in a place called Colossae. Again, another Greek place where, 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 where people worship idols. And listen to what he says there. Colossians chapter 3. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. So you see those lists? See those lists of things that can lead you into idolatry? Now those lists aren't complete. There are other things. But those are the issues Paul's trying to address with these specific people. And on both of those lists, he says all of those things are pathways to idolatry. If you follow those roads, they will then end up leading to this terrible, damning, heartbreaking thing called idolatry that breaks the world, that turns the world into an ugly, painful, terrible place. Not a place of love, not a place that pursues God that loves others, that loves God. This morning I want to talk about idolatry. So during the course of this week, somebody asked me, why does our church preach about money? They're quite new to the church, and they said, hey, Pastor, I see we're doing this thing on money. Why do we preach on money? Well, of course, there are a bunch of answers to that question. One of them is, uh, it's a very obvious one, the church needs money. It does. It's like anything else in the world. We need money to operate. We need money to, to, to run this building and to pay salaries and to, and to reach out to a lost and hurting world, to do ministry, to support missionaries. We need money for all sorts of things. And sometimes we live in a time of, of plenty and abundance, and sometimes we live in a time of lack. And, and so we need to talk about that, and we need to say things. Uh, one of the things about our church is that, and most churches, is that 20% of the people give 80% of the finances to the church. And that's just a true thing in churches everywhere and ours as well. We need money because we want to do more and greater things. Jacques spoke so well about it last week. Just the practical reasons about why we should give. But honestly, that's a secondary thing. That's a secondary reason. Here's the most important reasons why our church talks about money. is Well, because the Bible talks about money a lot. And we preach the Bible. And so from time to time, the subject of money is going to come up. Because it's all over Scripture. But then I think there's an even more important reason. We live in a world where one of the main driving forces is greed. We live in a world where almost everything is defined by money and how much we have and how hard we pursue it. And because of that, this world is constantly telling us, trust God 
but. Worship God, but. Give away, but. And over and over and over, we hear this message. Just like those Ephesians. Paul was saying, you, you came out of this world. I mean, guys, the stuff that they did in Ephesus was just horrendous. The things they did to worship. They used to go to the temple and have sex to worship. And Paul's going, you see that stuff? The stuff that the world is constantly trying to tell you, do this, do this, do this, do this. Those things will become idols in your life, and you've got to get rid of them. And we live in a world where there are lots of idols in our world. But let's face it, probably the number one idol is greed and money. And it pulls us away from God. And so one of the reasons we speak about money is because we want to be people who are transformed into being like God. And greed and money is one of those things that will stop us being like that. So I want to just unpack some of the ways that this idol of greed or this idol of money is going to tempt you down its path. Some of the things that, that, that the, the God, Jesus calls it mammon, the God of money, the God of wealth, he's going to say to you, come join me. One of the first things that this idol uses is fear. Fear. I don't know how much you worry about money. I do. I do. I can become fearful. You ever read what Jesus has to say? He says it all over the place, but in Matthew chapter 6 he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? All of us worry. All of us have fear. But, folk, the idol is using fear. The idol uses greed. The idol will use greed. Just look around you. Look. You know there's people that sometimes we would be like to be like? Remember when the lotto was so enormous the other day? How many of us bought lotto tickets that don't normally buy lotto tickets? I see your smiles. We, we think... We think that if we were millionaires, if we were billionaires, we would be okay. Where do we get that from? Have you seen how okay all those people are? People who literally have billions of dollars, billions of rands in the bank. What do they spend their lives doing? Trying to get more. It's insane. And we still think, if I just had a bit more, I'd be okay. It is the idol of greed. Selfishness. Fear. Greed. Selfishness. This world is about 
me. I deserve. How often have you said, have you done that to somebody else? You deserve that. You deserve to be in that school. Or you deserve. No, you don't. We're all just human beings on the same place. Philippians chapter 4, I think, says this. Let the same attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who being in a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself and took on the form of a powerful person, a king, an important official, a businessman, no, a servant. Selfishness is a weapon that this idol will use. There are lots more, but there are two important ones. One of the weapons this idol will use is lack. When we lack finances, it undermines our faith. And I want to say this to you, the economy is bad at the moment, and you may be sitting right here in a season of lack. Don't let the idol convince you that God doesn't love you. Don't let the idol convince you that you aren't good enough. Don't let the idol convince you that God is punishing you. Now, you may lack because you've made some bad decisions. That's, that's how life works. But God isn't punishing you. And sometimes the, the lack makes us take our eyes off God. Makes us switch off when the preacher preaches a sermon like this because I don't have anything to give right now, Pastor, and so I can't. And so I'm like, don't. Because lack often undermines our faith. It stops us trusting in God. But here's the weird thing. The other one is abundance. And you know what abundance does? Exactly the same thing that lack does. It undermines our faith. It stops us trusting in God and makes us start trusting in our bank balance. It happens all the time. When, when, when the... The Israelites were going into the promised land. God said to them, guys, you've got to be careful because when you get there, you're going to have plenty. You're going to live in houses you didn't build. You're going to pick fruit from orchards you didn't plant. You're going to harvest fields that you didn't sow. You're going to drink water that you didn't dig the cisterns for. Be careful when that happens because you are going to forget me. Isn't it interesting that the two opposite things that happen often with our money lead to the same place. Lack of faith in God. So, so those are the pathways that this idol is going to use to get us to worship it. To get us to not necessarily replace God with it. We're not that stupid, or are we? But just to kind of put it next to God. You know, if I have God and a healthy bank balance, if I have God and a good education, if I have a God and, I'll be okay. No. Those are the weapons this idol will use. The ways of an idol. What are the ways that God wants to help us not be trapped? What are the ways that God uses? Well, the first thing is this, that that God wants us to understand that we are stewards. 
that we are stewards. In other words, we are here doing God's work. We're not here doing our own work. We are not here using our own resources. We are not here using a world that belongs to us. We are not. We are here doing God's work. It comes all the way from the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 1, God says to Adam and Eve, use this earth. Rule over it. Now, we, we, we use that kind of rule over it. It's not like that. It's, it's rule over it. Care for it. Love it. Nurture it. And you'll have everything you need if you do that. So we have to learn to be stewards. That passage that we read, Ephesians, how does it start? It talks about loving. It talks about going the way of God. Shape your life around a life of love. Not a life of having and getting and consuming and taking. It's not just the Old Testament, it's the New Testament world in the book of James, James chapter 1, where James has to say some really harsh things about the way rich Christians in the church were treating poor Christians in the church. Um, but, but he says something really important there. He says, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father. Every good That's a reminder. We are stewards of what God gives us. It does not belong to us. But then there's a second way that God uses to remind us and to to pull us away from that idol and to pull us towards a life of love and true worship of God. And that's the way of giving. way of giving. God says, here's the way you deal with this greed thing. Here's the way you deal with this fear thing. Here's the way you deal with all of those weapons that this idol's constantly going to be throwing at you. You you understand that the world works like this. You are stewards of mine. And number two, because you're stewards of mine, you give away what I give you. Now, nowhere in Scripture does it say we have to give everything away. In fact, it never says that. In fact, Scripture often warns people that, hey, you must look after your family, guys. There were some people who were trying to be so religious and show other people that they were so good that they were taking what they should have given to, to provide for their families and were giving it to the temple just to show off how, how, how godly they were. And Paul says, this, this is rubbish. You don't do that. Part of what I've given you, you must use to look after those around you. But there's a whole lot of ways of giving that God gives us so that we can avoid this idol. And the first one is disciplined giving. It's disciplined giving. And, and, and throughout the Bible... We read stories of disciplined giving. If you go to the Old Testament, there are those passages about tithes, taking 10% of everything you have and, and, and giving it to God, get, taking it to the temple. Not only 10% of that, but also sometimes at the end of a harvest, you would take 10% of your crop and, and you would give some to the Levites in your own town. Um, so that they could help the poor and people that needed help. And some you took to the temple, and, and, and it's going to be fun to see what, what you often did with that. But, but this idea of disciplined giving, Jesus teaches it too. He, he, he talks about people giving at the temple, and he doesn't say you shouldn't do that anymore. You shouldn't stop. You should stop. He says, no, when you, when you go to the temple, give. The early church practiced it. They were disciplined in their giving. The Bible says that in the early church, some people actually wanted to help other people so much that they sold houses and properties and stuff, and they brought it to the apostles, and they said, here, use this. 
use this. And so throughout Scripture, now, now we often call that something, we call it a tithe. Now, when you research a sermon like this, you will find pages and pages that say, because we live in the New Testament, we shouldn't tithe. Okay? You also find pages and pages that say, because even though we live in the New Testament, you should. I'm not going to go there. But I'm telling you, I've lived my life, and my dad taught me, and my grandfather taught him, that 10% is a great way to, for you to help yourself understand how much God loves you. And how much you need to give to God. And so we don't teach it as a law. We teach it as a guideline and as a principle. And we, and we encourage our, our church to say, this 10% of what I have belongs to God. So, so disciplined giving. There's another kind of giving that we find all over the Bible, and it's generous giving. Generous giving. That moment where you just discover you have more. Then you need, and you go, wow, I want to help somebody. Now, to be honest, I think our view of generosity and, and Jesus' view of generosity is a little different. Um, so Jesus says, you know how to be generous. He says, if you've got two coats and you see somebody who doesn't have one, just give them one. <laughs> That's like 50%, eh? But, but, but I don't want us to feel condemned. The truth is, Jesus says, if somebody has none and you've got to give them one. If someone asks you to walk one mile with them to carry their backpack, do it too. What's he teaching? Generosity. God's idea is to go beyond what people expect. It's not just in giving. It's everywhere. You know, the disciple says, he's trying to be really cool. He says, when I forgive somebody, Jesus, how many times should I forgive them? Because, like, you know, I'll do it more than once because I'm generous with forgiveness. How many times? Seven? And she says, no, 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 no. Seventy times seven, but seventy times seven. It's not saying keep count. He's saying be generous, even with things like forgiveness. Be generous, because God is generous. Our world is full of those kinds of opportunities. That's, it's one of the, my favorite things about this church. Honestly, it's one of my favorite things about this church, that this church has always responded in ways like that. You, uh, you probably, most of you don't even know the story. Long before I was a pastor at this church, I, was, um, I went to Sri Lanka after the tsunami to go and help uh, an organization. They do water purification. And did you know that this church bought a giant water filtration plant? Did, did you even know that? Uh, I wrote a letter to the churches and said, I need help. And, and Westville Baptist sent me this fat check. It was amazing. We're good at that. And we must keep being good at it. And it's why we as a church will keep telling you, we see this need, we see this need, because it is a way away from idols. It's also why we teach you shouldn't just give to church. There are lots of people out there that need help. You shouldn't just give generously to the church. You should give generously wherever you can. The third way of giving that the Bible teaches is sacrificial giving. We sacrifice to idols. That's how you worship something. You sacrifice. And so the Bible teaches us that sometimes... 
to worship God, we need to sacrificially give. The best example of that that I could find in Scripture, and there are tons, was when Jesus is standing at the temple, it's in the book of Mark and the book of Luke, and he sees an old widow come and put two copper coins into the treasury of the temple. And he turns to his disciples and he says, I need you to understand that big rich oak that just came with the band and was playing trumpets and poured a massive amount in there, that guy, and that lady, she wins. She, she wins. He just gave because he had tons to give and wanted to show off. She gave everything that she had. Sacrificial giving. Sacrificial giving is at the heart of the Christian faith. And it's one of the ways that God will use us and our money to help us not worship the idol of money, but to worship Him instead. Sacrifice is never easy. Just want you to know that. Worshipful giving. Worshipful giving. That's another way that God teaches us to give. So, so remember I said that they sometimes took their first fruits to the temple? You know what the Bible says? Those guys who took their first fruits, all their crops to the temple, were to do. They were to give some of it to God, some of it to the Levites and priests, and then they were to take the rest and have a party with it. Literally. They would have a big feast. They would invite their friends and their families and their neighbors, and they'd say, here's my sacrifice to God, and the rest of you guys come and have a party with me. Was it so that they could party? No. It was so that they could celebrate the goodness of God. So that they could worship God while they were giving to Him. The New Testament says it like this. God loves a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. What's that saying? It's saying, when you have an opportunity to give to God, say, God, this is about you, not about me. There's a fourth and last way of giving that leads us away from the idol and to God. And that is guilt-free giving. He said, because I know this this is hard. It's hard for me to preach. And it's hard for some of us to listen because we're going, I'm not good enough. Here's the beautiful thing. None of us are good enough. None of us are. You see, see, if if somebody comes here and says, I give 80% of my salary away, that, that hasn't earned them anything. It just is what it is. But listen, listen to what it says in 2 Corinthians. Give as you have decided in your heart to give, not under compulsion. That's what it says in the Bible. That when you've come to give, when you're going to give to God, don't, don't give because the pastor preached the best sermon ever on giving. Or because you know the person next to you put five in and you're only going to put two. Don't. Make this an act of worship. Make this something that you have truly examined. And if you've examined your heart and you've turned money into an idol, then you should feel guilty. But you should deal with that guilt by giving it to God 
the way He wants it to be done. So here's what God promises to those who give. Here's what God promises to those who respond to God in every way in their lives, but particularly in the way of finances. He promises them, first of all, freedom from idolatry. Freedom from idolatry. Imagine what it felt like for people who once sacrificed their children to a God. To discover a God who doesn't want them to kill their children, who just wants them to love Him and allow Him to love them. <laughs> Imagine the freedom that gave those people. I don't have to grovel and beg. I just have to ask. And God loves me. Well, you see, that's the freedom that God promises when we learn to follow Him rather than our idols. A deeper and more intimate journey with Him. A greater faith. More and more freedom from all of those things that hold us captive. The second thing that God promises again and again when we are givers is that He will bless us. That He will bless us. Now, most of us take that to mean He will give me more money than I gave Him. doesn't necessarily mean that. It may. But it doesn't necessarily mean that. It means that God, that you've stepped into the way God wants you to live. And when you do that, you live a blessed life. It doesn't necessarily mean your life is easier. It doesn't necessarily mean you become wealthier. But it does mean that you have a life that is blessed by the God of the universe. Rather than cursed by the worship of of an idol. So I want to invite you today and every day to start walking away from whatever your idol is. In this particular instance, we're talking about the idol of money. And so I want you to take a first step in breaking those chains. If you're somebody who's never given, never given to a church or to anybody else, then, then start by giving something. It doesn't have to be everything. It doesn't even have to be a lot. It just has to be something. If you're one of those people like me, who's blessed and, 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 and is giving, then you need to learn to give more. Be- because, honestly, a lot of my giving is because it's a habit. It's a, my dad talked it to me. And then I need to learn to give more. I need to take whatever step is. If you don't give regularly to the church, start giving regularly. And it doesn't have to be a big amount. It can be a small amount. When you see somebody in need, start saying, I'm not going to just close my window every time. I'm not just going to close my eyes every time. Today, I'm going to ask God to give me one person that I can be generous to. The truth is, we will keep on asking and reminding you. We'll keep on telling you that the way away from this idol is regular giving. We will keep reminding you as a church for special things that from time to time that happen and say, guys, we want to get involved in this. Later on this year, we're going to start talking about something called Heart for the Home. We really want to make our church home a place where people love to come. A place that says to people, it's lacquer to have you here. 
And so we're going we're to ask for money to spend on making this place a place that is secure for our community, that is secure for us, that is a joyful, beautiful, wonderful place to be part of. We're going to keep asking, not because we want you to make us better or us rich or us to have the nicest church, but because we live in a world where we are constantly taught to worship idols, and we believe that there is only one God who must be worshipped, and this is how he is worshipped, by loving him with all our heart, soul, and strength, and loving our neighbor as much as we love ourselves. And so I'm going to invite you on this journey away from this idol, this journey of giving, this journey of generosity, this journey of trusting God, whether I have a lot or a little, by giving to God, by giving to others, by giving to our local church, by becoming free from this thing that is killing our world and potentially turning us into an idol. I'm going to invite you to pray with me. The, the prayer team are available to, for you to pray with. Um, and, and so you can go through that door. Some of them are sitting over here. And you can go and pray with them. And then I'm going to ask God's blessing on all of us. God, thank you for your abundant goodness to us. Thank you that you give. Thank you that we can give in return. Lord, if there's anybody here who feels condemnation around this area of finances, God, show that to them that there's no condemnation. Lord, if any of us need to, need to be feeling the true guilt of God in this area, then let us feel that so that we can respond to you. Lord, we pray that you will Continue to provide for the needs of individual members of our congregation and for our church. Lord, help us to take the step we need to take. To give to those we need to give to. To worship you with everything that is in our hearts. Including how we worship you with our money. And so, Lord... Thank you that you bless us in Jesus' name.